Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora, everyone. Welcome along to Seeds Podcast. This is Stephen Moe, and I'm really glad you could join me as we're going to be speaking with Jessie Cross about a new initiative that she started recently called the Not-So-Redundant Club. I've known Jessie several years now, so it was really fun to sit down and talk with her about what she's up to and learn a little bit more about what motivates her. Now, I know you're going to enjoy this episode, and we're going to get straight into it. If you do, then why not tell somebody else about it? In particular, in these uncertain times, there's probably a lot of people who will be looking at their job options. So this club represents an opportunity to get encouragement from other people and find resources to help during the transition. So make sure you check it out and look at the show notes for links. And don't forget that there's more than 200 other episodes in the back catalog. And there's heaps of content at theseeds.nz. Now let's get into this interview with Jesse. All right, so it's a real pleasure to welcome Jesse Cross to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited because we've actually known each other quite a while now, and we we collaborated together for the Impact Unconference, and I know that you've gotten an initiative called the Not-So-Redundant Club, and so I'd love to find out more about that. Um, but before we do that, I always like to go back in time and find out a little bit about the history of a person. So in your case, could you tell us a little bit about where you're from? Yeah, sure. So uh, I grew up in a little place called Mayfield, uh, which is a village about half an hour out of Ashburton in mid-Canterbury. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had a very sort of rural upbringing, um, really awesome childhood, very fortunate. Um, had two siblings and um, my parents are, yeah, absolutely awesome. So yeah, really, really cool childhood, like hanging out on the little farm we had and raising lambs and calves and going to the local primary school, which hit a grand total of 100 kids at one point while while I was there. Um, so yeah, pretty. So this is a community where you pretty much know everybody, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very much so. And was it, were there farms like um, established families that had been there a long time on some of the farms or? Yeah, definitely. Um, and many still, still there. Um, so yeah, my parents had a contracting business with um, diggers and trucks and things and we just had a little, little patch of land. Um, but yeah, it's pretty, pretty connected sort of rural community. Mm. Yeah, I actually, when I was a child, I grew up in um, Papakayo, which is just um, north of Amaru. Yeah. And it was a very rural community. So similar to you, the yeah. primary school had, you know, just dozens of people rather yeah. than hundreds and hundreds of people. Yeah. But in that, I remember um, many of the farms had been own, owned for generations. So it was like, yes. well, that's the Hearst farm over yeah. there. And, you know, that's the, this particular family has been there for yeah. a, a long intergenerationally, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I spent a little bit of time on some of those farms growing up. We had a roguing gang during the summers, which would go out and pick the wild oats out of the paddocks and things. So there's a lot of opportunities with growing up in that sort of community. You know, like everyone wanted to support the young people coming through and give them opportunities, which was it's a lot of fun. And did you have other family nearby or was it your family there? Yeah, so my grandparents, so mum and dad, uh, so mum's parents were um, on a pig farm just out in sort of Winslow, um, so not too far away. So we had a lot of time with um, my granny and granddad growing up, um, yeah, hanging out with the pigs and the chickens and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, really, really lucky to have 
very involved grandparents and it was always a treat going to stay with them. Yeah, that's cool. It sounds like it was a very outdoors childhood then. Yes, very much so. Yeah. yeah. We got told off if we were saying we're bored, it was like go play outside and you climb a tree or <laughs> go hide and seek or cops and robbers or <laughs> whatever it was. Yeah. 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 I always think, um, well, what we try to say with our kids is that if you say you're bored, you're about to find something really interesting to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Use your imagination, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, going to school then, were there subjects that you enjoyed more than others? or? Um, I just... I just really loved learning, uh, still do. Um, I, I wasn't super keen on maths, but when I put my mind to it, I was, you know, all right at it. Um, but yeah, really, I, I, I loved learning um, like about English. I loved um, history, really loved drama and dance. One of the teachers out at Mayfield, she used to run this um, dance class on Thursdays for kids after school, and that was like the highlight of the week. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So real varied interests, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And in terms of high school, did you, was there one close by or did you go to Ashburton or somewhere else? Or? Yeah, so I went into Ashburton for intermediate for year seven and eight and then Ashburton College after that. Mm-hmm. And what subjects did you enjoy at that point? Oh, um, again, a bit of everything. Like the drama kind of stayed a pretty big interest of mine. English, loved English, had amazing English teachers, I think. And I think looking back on it, it is your teachers that influence so much of what it is that you enjoy. Mm. Had a wonderful chemistry teacher too, Mr Gunn, who still hold very dear to my heart as like being one of those teachers who really cares about his students. Um, Yeah, so sciences and English and that kind of led me down the track of doing law and science at university. Right. And you mentioned drama. What was it that you enjoy about drama? <laughs> um, I just loved that it was so different to all the other classes, you know, where you're concentrating and you've got your head in a book and you're having to remember things. Whereas drama, you could just go and be and explore different different things, different activities, um, like actually get physically active in a class as well. I really loved that side of it. Mm. I think there's something about drama, isn't there? Like you get to inhabit another personality for a little while. Yeah. And also if, if if there's performance, then there's like a synergy with the crowd as well, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, through uni, I was um, involved in the law review for a couple of years and just the um, camaraderie that you build with a group of people when you're preparing for a performance is, mm. um, I've not really experienced that in any other activity. You don't get those same connections with people mm. um it's yeah it's really i wonder why that is i think it's like it's that you know that, that being in something together quite intensely for a reasonably short period of time and there's that pressure of we have to deliver something but also we're here because we love this and we want to have fun doing it mm. and it's kind of like that permission to play you know like as adults we don't really play that often do we mm. but when you're getting on stage particularly when you're doing something that's very um you know it's not that serious, the law review. Um, so yeah, it's a it's an interesting way to explore ideas. Yeah, I interviewed Peter Wells for the podcast uh, quite a while ago now, but he loves dance and drama and being yeah. on the stage and things. And yeah, he was describing that it's an energy that you get yeah. that, that you can't replicate pretty yeah. much. Yeah, it's that feeling of you're there, you know, present in the moment. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. oh, that's cool. So um, where did you go to study um, at university? I went to Canterbury University. Mm -hmm. So I went there in 2011, so the year of the big February quake. Mm -hmm. Um, I 
think we were about three. So that just you just had arrived then, and then it happened, or yeah. So yeah. Um, we'd been dropped off at the halls of residence, and then it must have been on day three or four of classes. The um, yeah, the earthquake happened, and um, everything changed. Right. So what? Well, how did it change immediately for you? Like, did they just say right? We're just stopping for a while, or or what happened? Yeah. So um, the the earthquake happened, and I remember I was in my room getting ready to go to a class in about an hour's time. And at that stage, like I didn't really know is this just another aftershock or is this like a really big earthquake? Because mm. I hadn't felt that many before. And so yeah, sort of like we all went outside and mingled around for a while. Didn't have access to contact because all the cell phones and things went down. Um, so it wasn't until a couple of hours later that we realised, oh, wow, this is actually really, really, really serious. Right. Um, so it was later that night. My brother also was studying Christchurch and he came, picked me up and we went home and the halls all shut down within a week or so after everyone had gone home. Mm. And we were, I think the university shut for about three weeks or so. And then we were back, um, maybe even longer than that, but we were back uh, maybe late March in tents on the... Um, in the car parks at university. So mm. my first law lectures that I remember were with um, Debbie Wilson in a tent with a big like gas heater in the back sort of blaring away. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite an introduction to study. <laughs> yeah, so just such vivid memories, like the um, talking about the cabin boy case where they, that's a pretty grim case, we won't go into it, but um, yeah, just a bizarre way to start university. Yeah. Mm. And at that time, so around then, it was sort of student volunteer army was beginning and things like that. Was that something that lots of people got involved in? or? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually count myself really fortunate to be in that kind of earthquake cohort because it just forged such an incredible community feel at the university. And mm. um, we had, you know, people like um, Sam Johnson, Jason Pemberton leading that kind of charge on sort of saying that actually students are here and they can contribute and they will, they're willing to. And mm. um, it kind of really changed the narrative around student culture in Christchurch and mm. it turned it into something that students are here to give and contribute, not students are here to cause trouble mm. so they really paved the way there and um i think yeah being part of that kind of movement um has really paved my kind of involvement in community stuff going forward as well mm. it's interesting because as we talk and particularly as we get into the not so redundant club um which is a lot about community i think um it'll be interesting to trace through because even what you said about drama yeah. you know and the fact that when you're with a cohort of people yeah. and you're preparing for something and you know there's an intensity and a depth of relationship that comes so yeah. let's just watch how that develops as we talk in the podcast because yeah. I can see that could be a theme yeah yeah and so how did you end up choosing law as a subject <laughs> that's a great question <laughs> I um actually was pretty intent on going to Dunedin and studying science mm. um throughout year 13 that was kind of my plan I'd been to a it was called hands-on science it was a like short science camp the summer before and really liked that doing the lab work and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. but then kind of just had in my head this idea that oh, I don't want to just be in a lab all day that doesn't and of course when you're a year 12 or year 13 student that's what you think a scientist is right because <laughs> <laughs> you've not necessarily met one before but anyway decided not to do that and yeah thought I'd do law because I'd always enjoyed English and words and yeah, just I was really interested. I didn't know anything about law. Didn't have any family in law. I was just interested to find yeah. out what it was. Um, so I thought I'd do that, but then I did the science as well to kind of hmm. 
cater to both interests. Yeah, no, that's interesting because I'm similar. I didn't have any model, but that's what I studied as well, yeah. except I graduated from Canterbury in 2001. Ah, so 10 yeah. years, like there's a 10-year gap where we in, did not intersect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's always interesting to think about parallels in life and, yeah. you know, why people do what they do. Yeah. yeah. So you you obviously got into the second years and and continued to study. Um, what what did you? What's your memories of that time and you know being a student at that with that cohort in particular? I just absolutely loved it. I kind of got got stuck into everything that I could when I was at uni. Um, so I was involved in UC Red, which was the Red Cross Society on campus. Um, and then got involved with LawSoc as the Education and Welfare Officer. Um, the year before me, Andrew, Pol- Andrew Puller had been in that role and he put in some really awesome initiatives around um, student wellbeing and mental health. Um, it hadn't really been much of a conversation before that. Like It was always kind of accepted that law students are stressed and exams are horrible and you know, you're all in it together, but it's all kind of really hard and all the rest of it. But... Um, yeah, it was really cool to kind of be part of helping to build awareness around that and that you actually don't have to be miserable at law school. You can have a really good time. You can look after each other and yourself. Mm. Um, so, yeah, really just I think, again, that community, like being part of um, the clubs and through my hall of residence and stuff as well, you just build so many like really deep connections with people. Um, so, yeah, that's probably one of my favourite kind of takeaways from uni days yeah and you were doing the science degree at the same time or yeah yeah, yeah. so what I was the area that you were studying that was biology and geography with a endorsement in environmental science mm-hmm. so I kind of went into uni with this grand idea of um I'll do environmental law and you know help save the planet kind of thing mm-hmm. um didn't quite <laughs> end up that way but it was, yeah, it was really, really interesting to kind of balance those two very different subject areas. Um, you know, the, had some wonderful field trips and things on my, um, as part of my science degree mm-hmm. up in the Cass Field Station that Canterbury has. It's a pretty beautiful part of the world. Mm. Yeah, I can see where that would be a really nice balance yeah. between the, you know, memorizing the cases and all that <laughs> yeah. versus going out and doing some studying in the field. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So as you get towards the end of university, did you have a plan or did you know what you wanted to do next? Uh, I had had ideas. I wanted, like, I've always known that I want to, you know, make a meaningful contribution, I guess, in whatever it is that I do. Um, But I think coming to the end of uni, I had no idea how to do that. Um, And, yeah, when you're at law school, I guess the options that are, put in front of you are here are the big firms apply for a clerkship with one of them um judges clerking is something as well that sort of comes up on the radar but yeah back then there weren't that many other options that I was aware of um and didn't really know where to look so yeah ended up applying for a clerkship um or applied for all of the clerkships, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, got lots of offers, which was great. And then, yeah, ended up clerking with um, Chapman Trip in Christchurch. Mm. Oh, yeah. Interesting, yeah. yeah. And you mentioned there, we'll, we'll go into that in a minute, but you mentioned there that you always knew that you wanted to do something that gave back. Or yeah. where, where do you trace that to? <laughs> Why is that? 
I've been kind of reflecting on that lately and trying to think, like, where does it come from? Mm-hmm. Um, I think sort of what we're talking about before about the, you know, being part of that earthquake cohort, it made me very aware of the fact that I was part of a, a wider community mm-hmm. and how important it is for community to come together and help each other. And actually that's what matters kind of the most, really. Mm-hmm. Um, have also always been quite conscious about climate change and, and interested in the scientific kind of side of that um, and being very aware that we can't kind of keep continue on the trajectory that we're on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess those things kind of tie together to to give me that kind of drive to to want to do do good stuff, <laughs> for lack of a more eloquent term. <laughs> that's your, it can be your job description. I do good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. It's just, yeah, I always find it fascinating to find out what motivates people, particularly because I've watched you for a couple of years now. We've yeah. known each other a while. And, yeah, I always find it fascinating to try to get to the, what was the origin or yeah. why, why are people, yeah. you know, doing that? Yeah. I think I was also really fortunate because, Growing up, like I, I always achieved quite like highly on the academic side of things, but my parents were never very pushy in that regard, and they were never, they never really like over celebrated any of that. So there was no ego really attached to it, and my parents are like really just really good people, um, and they have always just wanted the best for us kids, and there's never been any sort of I guess material drive mm. um, in my upbringing. You know, it's like you no do... No expectation like, oh, well, you've yeah. done really well and now you're going to get this high-paying job or yeah, do yeah. some other thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, like, when I started talking about, oh, I think I'll, you know, leave law and I'll pursue something else that was very airy-fairy, didn't know what it was going to be, mm-hmm. they were just fully on board. They're like, yeah, we know that you need to, you know, really connect with what you're doing, so mm-hmm. please go do it. Like, it's about time kind of thing. So, right. yeah, I think that's definitely a big part of it too. Yeah. So talk us through that process, or um, I assume you went ahead and did the summer clerkship or or, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I did a summer clerkship and then I worked um, for Chapman Trip for about two and a half years here in Christchurch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, because you're not doing that now. <laughs> yeah. What was it that led you to think, actually, I want to try something different? Uh, so I guess um, having sort of stumbled into practicing law <laughs> out <laughs> of uni um, and knowing that it was never going to be the, the long-term trajectory for me, uh it sort of got to that point where I was a couple of years in, had worked on some amazing projects, really, really got along well with my colleagues and had awesome opportunities, but just knew deep down that it wasn't connecting with what my purpose was. I didn't know what my purpose was. Still don't know if I could articulate my purpose clearly, but um, when you know that you're not on it, you know. Mm. And so I sort of thought, well, it's time to look for something different Mm. and was really fortunate to come across Campus, which was – an initiative that was being run by Jason Pemberton and Sam Jones back in, what was that, the start of 2018. Mm. And it was like a, the idea was to just get people outdoors together talking about stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sorry, guys, I've really undersold that, but um, (laughs) that was the basic principle of it. And um, so, yeah, met some amazing people through that. And Jason and Sam sort of led it and talked a lot about social enterprise. Mm-hmm. And I'd never really come across that concept before, but was so curious. And right. I thought, this this is it, right? This is the the way that you can 
fix problems, but also not rely on, you know, um, funding and donations and all the rest of it. You can be self-sufficient whilst also really wanting to, um, you know, achieve good social and environmental outcomes. So mm. got really excited about that. And that kind of gave me the boost I needed to be like, okay, well, this is some form of direction. That's enough. I'll take a leap. I'll leave the law thing and see what comes next. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, I interviewed Sam, and it would have been about the time that that was beginning. And um, she talks in the episode how she, I think she had just come from one or she was just about to go to one or, yeah. you know, it was something. Yeah, because it would have been about two years ago that I chatted to her. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So, so you left the Chapman trip and that that field without having something to go directly to or yes so um yeah I just kind of got to the point where I was getting quite down and I knew something had to change Mm -hmm. and I couldn't wait to find out what the next thing was going to be um so I just took the leap handed in my notice and we my husband and I weren't married then but we had a trip planned to South America Mm -hmm. so um yeah handed in my notice we went traveling and Um, I'd applied for a job with an international social enterprise that ran teacher training programs. It was called Limited Resource Teacher Training. Had applied for that a little while before we went. Had an interview via Zoom with the CEO, Simon, when I was in Peru and got a call, I think like a day after we got home, saying, we'd love to bring you on and can you be in Laos in a week? (laughs) (laughs) So that was a really crazy time of my life. Um... But I think just kind of proof that like when you have faith in yourself and you kind of know the direction you want to go in, take a leap and you just don't know where you'll go. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's good advice. And I think um, it's probably going to come up a bit later on with your initiative now, right? Because many people will be thinking about should I or shouldn't I um, leave behind things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you did that for a while? Yeah, I was with LRTT for a little over 18 months. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had some amazing opportunities with them. And, like, and there's some other people based here, right, in Christchurch? Yeah, so Sarah Grant was the first um, New Zealand-based um, right. team member. She came over from the UK. It was from New Zealand originally, but came back over mm-hmm. um, and started to build a team here. So I was the second team member here. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, they're an amazing organisation. So they're a social enterprise. Um, the model was based on taking teachers from Australia, New Zealand, the UK and the US. And during their summer holidays, they'll go to remote areas around Asia and Africa right. and deliver teacher training um, for teachers who just aren't, don't have access to training resources, basically. Um, so yeah, awesome, awesome couple of years with them. Yeah. And the outcomes, just to drill down on that, mm. I, I, can, I can guess the answer here, but I'm going to ask the question. Because I can imagine, like, the outcomes for the people that are being taught are important. Yeah. But the people who are teaching, yeah, it's probably just as transformational for them, right, when Abs- they go back. Absolutely. So, like, there's this massive um, teacher gap, basically. So not enough skilled teachers around the world to meet mm. the demand for education. And also there's a huge problem in the UK as well as here and in Australia with teachers leaving the profession within the first five years because they just burn out. Mm. So we were kind of trying to tackle two problems at once, give teachers who are maybe feeling really burnt out with the system and everything a chance to go away in their summer, see something totally different, kind of refresh that passion for education and then Mm. come back with all that knowledge and that experience and also like building cultural competencies in a totally new way as well when you get to 
actually, you know, see a different culture and really interact with um, people and build relationships and just get to understand what life is like mm-hmm. in an entirely different place. Um, so, yeah, pretty pretty cool mission. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, Sarah, I think she's been to several, and you have as well, several of the impact lunches. Yes. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's been awesome to watch. Um, but then we have this thing called COVID, which hits. Yes. <laughs> and have they had to sort of hibernate for a while? Is that where it's up to yeah. in terms of LRTT? Yeah, so that's actually the exact word that mm-hmm. we, we used was hibernate, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of the New Zealand team, we were all just contractors to the UK organisation. So okay. um, those contracts were all just ended. They did their absolute best, gave us as much notice as possible and everything, but just had to make those really hard calls. Mm-hmm. Um Huge respect for the leadership team, and I think actually just watching the way that they handled a really hard situation, made tough calls, but made them really early so that the organisation had the best chance of long-term survival. Right. Sort of like gone through that. At the time, obviously being amongst it is really hard, Mm. but also to be able to step back and say, well, we totally see why this has happened. There's a lot of open communication, and yeah, it was... Mm. um, it was the best way that a bad situation could have been handled, I guess. Mm. It's interesting what you say because one I was reading about sort of how do you communicate with your staff and basically the, the advice was clear communication. Yeah. And if you don't know the answer, then tell the people <laughs> that you don't know the answer, you yeah. know, rather than just kind of putting a front up of, yeah. well, there's stuff happening, but we're not talking about it with you. Yeah. It's much better to just be open, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And especially because the nature of our organisation, like we all knew that it was going to be hard times. We didn't know how hard mm. back in like February, early March. But yeah, it's um, you can't hide when you're, a, particularly when you're a small organisation with quite a flat organisational structure, which is yeah. what LRTT is. Um, they kind of didn't have a choice but to, to be really open about it. Yeah, no, that's good. Well, I'd love to talk about some of the things that you're involved in now. But before we do that, I know that we um, worked quite a lot together to put on this Impact Unconference that was held on the 24th of April. Yes. Um, so what are your memories of that? <laughs> and why did you get involved? <laughs> the crazy crazy thing to do. <laughs> oh, it was amazing. Um, it came at a really wonderful time too because I'd sort of, um, worked out my notice period and then it was about I think two weeks between finishing with LRTT and the Impact Unconference actually happening. Right. So for me it was wonderful timing because I'm a kind of person who just needs to be doing stuff. Mm. Um, so really loved the opportunity to get my teeth stuck into something that was so such an amazing project. Um, the ability to bring together 300 people who all care about impact-focused work um, through COVID in an online platform, like, wow, what a concept, loved it. Um, I'd been involved with the team that was meant to be doing the in-person one in mm. May from sort of from the start mm. um, for the same reason. You know, I just think we, we there's so much need for, for work that actually is designed to to solve some of the massive social and environmental challenges that our country faces. And mm. we, none of us can do that alone. And New Zealand's got this awesome thing where we've got like one of the highest number of charities per capita in the world. But also there's a massive question around that. Why so many? Why don't we work together a bit more often? Um, so that's what I loved is being the kind of one of the drivers behind the Impact Unconference is to bring, bring people together around some of those things. Yeah, definitely. Well, behind the scenes... 
people may not know it, but you were hugely involved in offering all kinds of support. And I, you know, personally really appreciated your calmness. <laughs> and every time we had decisions to make and we had work to be done and we had Google documents out of our ears, you know, with who should we contact and who's speaking and what's the timing and all that stuff. So, yeah, yeah it was really valuable. And the team that came together seemed to really, you know, come back to community, yeah. seemed to really bond in a quick, you know, we're putting this on in 10 days yes. type of way. <laughs> yeah, It's like coming back to that, um, you know, the performance thing, right? It's like when you've got a deadline, you're mm. all on the same kind of, in the same walker trying to get the same outcome. Mm -hmm. um, it's amazing what you can get done. And yeah, I, th I think that everyone gave their time so generously in mm. those sort of three weeks leading up to it. Um, that yeah, I think we put on something pretty special. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It was pretty cool. And I reflect back on the people who organized it and yeah, there's such quality people there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> there was a really good good mix of people. Yeah. So um, at, around that time, you were also moving. Um, and just talk us through the thought process around the Not So Redundant Club. Um, yeah. I'm keen to find out about what, what was the thinking behind it and then what happened next or how did it develop? Yeah, so throughout that April lockdown period, I had a couple of weeks of work and then the unconference. So that kept me busy for most of that sort of initial lockdown. Mm -hmm. But as soon as the unconference was done, I found myself with like time and headspace. And I just kept having this little idea popping into my head of the not so redundant club. Like that was just the phrase that kept popping into my mind. I was like, mm -hmm. what is this? Um, because I was, you know, looking actively for work. Um, my husband had got a job in Nelson, so we were moving up there. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, there just weren't that many job opportunities out there that kind of resonated with me um, or really just not that many job opportunities, well, full stop. Yeah, um, it's an odd time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. And I was applying for a few and, you know, not getting anywhere. And I'd never faced that before. I'd been super fortunate in previous um, you know, job applications to kind of get straight in there. So um, that was a big reality check. And yeah, kind of just that uh, probably just got me down a bit, you know, like start, makes you start thinking, oh, you know, can I actually do these things? Or, you know, what is my value? And all of that kind of big questioning stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking, well, look, it's not just me. <laughs> There's thousands of us. Where are they all? <laughs> so I had my colleagues who I'd worked with at LRTT and we still kept in regular contact. Um, so that was awesome. And then friends and family, everyone around me, like super supportive. Mm. But I was just kept thinking like, there's thousands of Kiwis in this boat right now. Like, where are they all and why aren't we all helping each other out a bit more? Mm -hmm. So that was kind of my motivation with setting up the Not So Redundant Club. I wanted to build a community for people so that, you know, you can really relate to what others are going through when you're all in the same situation. All different personal circumstances, obviously, but ultimately the challenges that we're facing are very similar. Um, and also like the... The naive optimist in me has just got this idea that, like, when there's problems to be solved, there's opportunities to create work and businesses and all of the rest of it to solve those problems. And why don't we, like, just focus on that? Um, that's really simplistic, I know, but that's kind of 
part of the motivation as well was that if we can build a community of people who are talented, who are motivated, um, who are having a pretty hard time, but with the right support can, you know, get together and actually do good stuff, Mm. um, there it is again, do good stuff, (laughs) (laughs) then, you know, there's kind of no telling what could could come of it. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I always think words are powerful and how we use them is powerful. And so I like the way that you've taken a word like redundant, you know, I've redundancy and because it in itself it's a quite an emotional word mm. and it you know it's redundant yeah. what does that mean yeah. it means it's reached the end of its useful life yeah. it, or that's how yeah. in my layman's yeah, thinking yeah, yeah. you know it's like yeah. that's redundant we don't need that anymore exactly. and yet that's you know we're using that as a terminology to describe people yeah and the fact that you're redundant you know it's yeah so I, I like the way that you've played on that and and changed it to the not so redundant yeah because um yeah I think that it's completely accurate that the value of a person shouldn't be on the job title of their business card yeah. you know that there's an inherent value as humans yeah and um so I guess this is kind of a long-winded question, but what is it that you're hoping that this club or this cohort of people coming together, and we've kind of touched on it already, which is community, but what are the other things or the aspects that you're bringing into focus for people who are part of it? Yeah, so um, I guess touching on that name thing as well is, yeah, I completely agree, and it's that it's a horrible word, redundancy. Mm. Um, So that is very much the reason behind the name. Um, But yeah, just wanting to give people space to say like this is really hard you know like this sucks I loved my job and now my job doesn't even exist anymore Mm. Um, because there's a real grief with that and I think there's people on lots of different kind of spectrums right now so there's people who have been displaced um, but will relatively easily find a job that's reasonably similar there's people that have been displaced and will probably never find work in that field again. So to get through that, you can't just expect people to just kind of like muscle up and move on. Mm. There has to be a time and a space to talk that through and share the fact that it's really hard, but also not feel like you have to kind of wallow in that for a really long time. Mm. Wallowing is fine. Wallowing is great. You've got to do it. Like, um, and everyone's got that process to go through. But the hope with this community is that it provides a little bit of space for that, but a lot of space for that uplift, that empowerment, that motivation, and also just like sharing ideas. Um, the beautiful thing about being made redundant is all of a sudden you've got this time on your hands, and like just if you if you have the like juicy stuff in front of you to kind of stimulate the brain and ideas flowing, like you know, you could come up with something awesome. And if you've got the right people around you to be able to then spin ideas off, you might actually be able to turn it into something. Yeah. So again, it's sort of, this is the theme of the podcast, I can tell, which is community, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, what yeah. we're really describing here is coming together to encourage, to then catalyze each other, Yeah. to then do something. And what what is your dream? You know, how can we help you achieve it, right? That's kind of what yeah. you're aiming for. Exactly. So mm. we've been doing a few workshops lately that are around like the basics of starting a business. And we had Hannah Duda in, um, was that last week? Yeah, just to talk about like how you can do it, you know, like take an idea and actually turn it into something right. to kind of get people thinking along the lines of you don't have to just 
apply for jobs endlessly. Like there are other options out there. Like starting your own business is it's scary and it's risky and everything, but everything's scary and risky at the moment. It's mm. kind of the perfect time if you want to give something a go to just do it because mm. you could put all of your energy into applying for jobs and it go nowhere. Mm. Um, and also looking at other things like networking and volunteering and just different ways of actually getting your feet in the door. Yeah. I've actually seen, because as you know, I work as a lawyer, so I, I help startups and things. And I've seen some people coming in through the door who maybe never would have started something up. And it's due to the disruption and COVID yeah. that they're saying, well, you know, life is short. Mm. I need to get on with it. Yeah. And I've always had a dream of setting up this charity yeah. to help whatever it is, you know, and now I'm going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's that attitude, isn't yeah, it? That's yeah. It. yeah. Just thinking, though, um, you know, you've been through something that's quite traumatic. Um, what advice have you got for people? Because some people listening, you know, wage subsidies are finishing quite soon and yeah. it's ongoing disruption. I was reading something that the unemployment's going to peak, not this year, mm. maybe not even, like it's going to be like a long time from now. Yeah. So we're going to see more and more people going through what you've been through. Yeah. Have you got any advice for them, like as they're going through that process? And yeah. um, what, what has helped you? I think a um, couple of key things are to be really kind and compassionate to yourself. Um, don't expect things to turn around overnight because they won't and just to be prepared for just little steps and just keep those little steps going whether it's you know applying for a job or whether it's contacting someone through LinkedIn or through a friend of a friend to say hey I'm really interested in what you're doing you know is there any way I could come in and chat to you about it and um yeah just being prepared for that this is a marathon um but don't lose sight of your value in that uh because you know, like not so redundant, you're not redundant, yep. <laughs> you've been made redundant, you are not redundant. Um, and just, yeah, keep sight of those, those things that you can, that you can do. Um, we've had quite a few conversations in the not so redundant club around actually acknowledging what your value is and not skipping over it. Um, often the th it's so hard to see in our, in our own selves what it is that we're really great at mm. because it comes naturally to us so we think oh everyone can do that that's no big deal mm. but actually like take some time to to think about that ask people ask ex-colleagues or your, your old boss or friends family and just like keep that list of things and if mm. you're feeling really down just go through and, and read it you know just remind yourself that you're you're a great person and you, you've got good stuff to do um yeah. just yeah did you ever go to any of natasha zimmerman's unchatter events have you ever been to one of those i've not been to um any in person i've done some of her ones that she sort of did for us through the impact unconference yeah um because yeah. she has an exercise which you should try at the not so um, redundant club which is called positive gossip i don't know if you like yes. you can probably guess what that is yes. right yeah yeah <laughs> and it's basically you're with three or four people and you start talking about the person yes. in a positive way, yeah. you know, and explaining all the things, all the qualities that yeah. they're amazing that they maybe haven't even thought of themselves in yeah. that light. Yeah. I, th I think it's, it's just a really cool exercise. <laughs> it is. It is. Preston actually facilitated, um, positive gossip for us at one of the global shapers retreats recently. Oh, and it okay. was an yeah. awesome way to end a session. Yeah. 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 I think it's a really clever because gossip, again, the terminology, right? It has a, the, it feels like it's a negative thing, like yeah. gossiping, yeah. but if it's positive gossip and yeah. this person is 
whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. So kind, and they helped me to do this or that. Yeah. Get, yeah. It's a good reminder. That's it all. is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I interviewed recently Margaret Austin, um, who was born in 1933. Wow. And so she, you should listen to that episode, actually. It came out maybe two weeks ago. Yeah. And so she has lived a very long life. Yeah. And she, I asked her about the word retirement, actually. And I, I said, you know, when you get to the end of your working career, how have you approached life afterwards? Yeah. Because she's basically, she's been involved in dark skies in Tekapo. She's on the Antarctic Science um, Group. She's involved with a, a, a group in um, Wainoni that meets, and she's, a, she's the patron of this group, and like literally dozens of things that she's touching. And, and she said, I've realized that there is no such thing as retirement, mm -hmm. and I always need to be open to the opportunities yeah. and be willing to say yes to the opportunities. And I think I love that attitude. I'm just thinking of advice for the type of people. If you can go in to opportunities with the attitude of, I'll give it a go, I'll yeah. try it, yeah. it's going to change everything, isn't it? Absolutely. And if you can kind of distill your experience sort of forget what your actual practical experience is and think more of it in terms of, you know, your your values and your, your your key things that make you you. And so instead of thinking that, you know, I I am a travel agent or, you know, I am a person that delivers international teacher training programs, you know, think of it much broader than that and think, I like helping people. Or, um, I like doing good stuff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then... You know, don't box yourself. We, mm. we do this thing where we put ourselves in these boxes that are just made up mm. and it, you just put these limits on yourself when actually, you know, mm. now's the time to explore how you can break out of that box. Mm. <laughs> and I think that's the thing for the next generation, for your generation, for my children's generation. You know, it is going to be about multiple careers through yeah. your lifetime. Yeah. And it's going to be about, you know, having... Yeah, multiple interests and yeah. working out what that actually means. That's it. And it might be multiple things at once, you know, mm. like you might pick up just a few different bits of contract work. And mm. I guess it's, um, yeah. And then piece them together to form exactly. what would be a traditional job. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. But actually quite varied. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really good. So if people want to know more, um, where can we direct them to? Is there a, a like LinkedIn page or Facebook page? Or how are you connecting these, this community that's developing? Yeah, so um, we're on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram as the Not So Redundant Club. Mm -hmm. um, and through all those platforms, you can also access the uh, online platform which we have, which is hosted on Mighty Networks. So that's kind of the membership place where people will go to sign up and then once you're in there it's kind of like a specialized Facebook group so it's for sharing resources chatting to people starting conversations mm -hmm. sharing events and things like that so that's and it, what, have, what have been some of the themes that you're seeing emerge from that online platform what are people interested in and talking about yeah a lot of people are really interested in starting their own things mm -hmm. so whether that's contracting or freelance work or their own little business or things like that so mm -hmm. that's been awesome to see um that people who you know might have been applying for jobs for a couple of months now but had this little kernel of an idea kind of ticking away they're just kind of saying right just give it a go mm -hmm. um so yeah i think i just that would be my one piece of advice to people would just be you know think outside the box um you don't just have to work for 
um, a big company or whatever, you can. There's lots of different ways to make mm. a living. Yeah. Well, if people are interested, then what we'll do is put links in the show notes so cool. they can click through and find it. But also, I'd encourage the listeners to think about other people that they know who yeah. this could be applicable for, because, uh, yeah, for better or worse, we're heading into a time of uncertainty, and it might be something a resource that other people would find valuable as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. So can I come back to one thing that you mentioned before, (laughs) which is the Global Shapers? Yes. So I would love to know a little bit more about that because I see these photos on Facebook and you're all at Hemner Springs or you're, you know, you're cooking or you're doing something cool. Yeah. What is Global Shapers? How are you shaping the globe? (laughs) And, and what, yeah, what, how did you get involved? Like, What's the background? I'm so glad you asked. Um, Global Shapers is an initiative of the World Economic Forum, um, and it's the it was created basically because the World Economic Forum acknowledged that um, this was about in 2011. They acknowledged that the forum was largely made up of um, older um, and more traditional kind of business people, and they acknowledged that to kind of create the future for the world that we need, we need to bring young people into the conversation. So um, there are now 400 hubs around the world, Global Shapers hubs, and they're for people between the ages of 18 and 28. Um, And they're, yeah, for people who actively want to get involved in their community in creating projects or initiatives to spark change. Mm. so the Christchurch Hub was founded by Sam Johnson um, and we've been around for a few years now. We've gone through a few peaks and troughs in terms of membership and enthusiasm for it, but we're at a space now where we've got an amazing hub and um, we're actually going to be recruiting new members in October. Um, we've got a really cool event coming up in um, ne- starting next Friday, the SDG Art Exhibition, which mm-hmm. has been championed by Bridget Williams, who you've had on, mm-hmm. um, as well as uh, uh, Selena and Kofi, who are two incredible local artists. Um, so, yeah, that, that's going to be a really cool event to, to get along to. Tickets are on sale now. You could also chuck that in the show notes. Yeah, I'll do that for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'll be there. So I'll say hi cool. to you on the opening. I think it's a Friday, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. next Friday. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so if people want to find out more about that, then we'll put some more links. Yes. And again, it's back to this community point, isn't yeah. it? That that we're not lone wolves yeah. out on our own that actually we are communal yeah. creatures and yeah. and the support the catalyzing that happens when you have these conversations you know when you go away like Jason and Sam's yeah you know get up get away with other people and yeah. talk and think it's really important isn't it <laughs> it is it really is and i just encourage everyone to like don't be afraid to have those deep conversations with your your parents or your friends or whatever because everyone's got really great ideas and interesting thoughts to contribute and I think sometimes there's a tendency to kind of stay surface level but if you just dive in <laughs> have a chat about a deep topic and just see where it goes mm. yeah um, and I think I just want to say thank you to you Stephen for the impact lunches that you bring to Christchurch because that um, for me that was hugely important in terms of starting to see that actually there is this massive community of people right here in Ōtutahi doing really great stuff and Mm. Seeds Podcast is a big part of that too so thank you for all your mahi there. Yeah no problem I remember you um, had listened to 
was it Erica's one maybe? Or yes. You yeah. listened to it, right? And yeah. then you met her and it, yeah, it's kind of cool to see the podcast out there in the world and then yeah. find out that people are actually using it to listen <laughs> to other people's stories. Yeah, definitely. Well, when I was trying to navigate that whole leaving a really um, traditional corporate career into something that I didn't understand, mm. resources like Seeds Podcasts were hugely valuable because you can actually then understand the stories of people who are doing things that you'd love to be doing right. and see that, oh, their trajectory wasn't a straight line. Mm. So this is okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely a theme on the podcast is that people mm. start here and they end up over there. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll put heaps of links because we've touched on many different topics yeah. in the show notes. But I just want to say thanks for coming on the podcast. It's a Friday afternoon yeah. and um, you've given up your time. So I appreciate that. And I'm glad that we could do this in person because you're living in Nelson, but you happen to be down here. Yeah. Um, so we're meeting in my house here in Rolleston. <laughs> um, and I want to say thank you for coming on the show and sharing us uh, some of your journey. Thanks so much for having me, Stephen. It's been a real pleasure. Right. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that episode with Jesse. I know for me, there were several things that stood out. In particular, I just love the initiative to think about the not-so-redundant club and the way that that word is actually used and the focus that Jesse has on actually empowering people to take the opportunities that this might represent. Keep in mind, there's a bunch of links in the show notes, so check those out. And if you enjoyed this episode, then you might know somebody else who would as well. So why not share it with them? And there's heaps more content at theseeds.nz. Until next time. Mm-hmm.